0: Welcome to the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast. I'm Lisa Fisher, a longtime broadcaster and journalist in Arkansas, who's been in front of a microphone or a camera since the 1980s. I think of myself as the queen of Arkansas media. For this episode, we're gonna help you get rid of those headaches. My guest is the headache nutritionist, Susanna Juto. My attorney wanted me to tell you that this is not medical advice, but it's sage advice from someone who's been a chronic migraine sufferer for years and she'll tell you how she got rid of hers. You'll get to meet her right after this. Arkansas is the natural state and we have so much to be proud of. Those of you listening outside the state, just come on over and see us and see what we have to brag about. And let's talk about our rice. We're known as one of the top producers of rice in the country. And the top producer of rice, one of them, is not too far from us in central Arkansas. It's Ralston Family Farms. Now guys, people think I'm making this up when I say this. They've been farming for 10 generations. Now there are three generations farming on the property there in Atkins, Arkansas, but I'm telling you, these people know what they're doing and that's why their rice is sold all over the world. Not an exaggeration because it is now sold in China. Yeah, right. So Costco has it. Your favorite grocery store has it. If your favorite grocery store doesn't go to RalstonFamilyFarms.com and check the link there of where you can find it and go ahead and order some. You will be so glad you did. A proud sponsor of the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast is Ralston Family Farms. She won most talkative in high school, and she has been running her mouth ever since. Welcome to the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast with your host, Lisa Fisher. Okay, Susanna, I love your story. I love following you on social media. Tell me how you got to be the headache queen and combine that with, I guess you're a dietitian, so nutritionalist, right? Okay. Yeah. Tell tell me your journey. Okay. So
1: so I've always been obsessed with the brain, learning about the brain. So even in eighth grade, I said, I'm going to become a neurosurgeon. At that age, I was like, I am going to become a neurosurgeon. So I had posters on the wall for the brain, (laughs) learning about all the different parts at a young age. And so when I finished high school, I went right into neuroscience. That's, you know, pathway to there and even did part of my, um, my thesis was doing brain surgery on rats and I hated it. I despised it. Okay. So every part of it, I was like, what have I gotten myself into? (laughs) I've set my whole like journey towards this and I didn't like it. So, um, Took some some time off to kind of figure myself out, realized nutrition is really the path that I wanted to be on, became a dietitian, all those things. And then I ended up with my own brain surgery. So all it's like all this foreshadowing in my life led me to my own brain surgery. Um, I had... I had a benign tumor that was pressing on my brainstem. So the brainstem is the center of life. That's where our breathing happens. That's where heart regulation, all these things. And the the tumor was pressing on there. So I had a a fairly quick surgery, or booked the surgery fairly quickly. Yeah, sure. And um, a 10-hour surgery. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it was long. Um, They actually told me going into it like don't worry they kind of made it seem like oh this is no big deal uh you'll be back to work in four to six weeks it's like great my life is not affected then this is okay um did not happen that way i uh, could barely even keep my eyes open six weeks later i was still you know just could walk down the street and um wasn't wasn't able to to do much of anything at that point. So, um, realized that my life had really changed. And at that, point, I, even leading up to the brain surgery, I was starting to get chronic headaches and that's what led them to do the MRI and find all of this. But so I had chronic daily headaches that were getting worse and worse. And then after the surgery, they didn't get any better. They just kept staying pretty constant, but it was daily constant, never had a break. Um, episodic migraine as well for so for your listeners who don't know um, migraine is different than a headache and migraine is usually one-sided there it's always it's accompanied with many other symptoms so things like vomiting or um, intense dizziness or sensitivity to light sensitivity to sound those are some of them and there's a whole slew of things everyone experiences it very differently So I had those attacks fairly frequently where I just could not get out of bed and couldn't function at all. So um, eventually got on enough medications that I could function and um, return to work and just felt like that was my path forwards was to be on medications to control the headaches um, and was never told there was any other option. When you go to the doctor, it's usually the whole medical approach is is you go on medications for a certain length of time. Then when they stop working, you go on to the next one. And that's what most people encounter. They don't – even here, there's another – there's a nutrition approach. And in doctor's defense, they don't have any courses on nutrition in their school. Right. And – Mm-hmm. Um, even, even me as a dietitian, we never learned about migraine conditions or headache conditions in our schooling either. So there's a huge focus on diabetes. There's a huge focus on the con- large conditions. And yet migraine is extremely prevalent. One in four women will experience a migraine in their lives. Um, And 14% of the population deals with a migraine condition on on a regular basis. So, I mean, the stats are are huge and no one's really talking about this. So, um, eventually I came across... Intermittent fasting and <laughs> did not think it would be anything for me. Did not think it would like had anything to do with how I would
0: feel. Is it because you're slim and you just thought, oh, I really don't need help with this? That's kind of going, that's kind of yeah. overdoing it. Yes, pretty much. I am. So.
1: Because as a dietitian, I was kind of a jack of all nutrition trades at this point, I worked at a community health center and people came to me for any type of condition. But of course, a lot of people are coming to see a dietitian because they want to lose weight, right? So, so many people were asking, like, hey, I've been hearing about intermittent fasting. And this was in 2016. So it's right at the beginning Mm -hmm, of mm -hmm. the movement. That's right. um, Where people are starting to ask the question. And with my training, I'm like, no, you should be eating every three to four hours. And then enough people were asking that. I was like, it's irresponsible for me to not look into the research on this. And so I love
0: hearing that you were open to that because you know how many people are so dyed in the wool of what they were taught in a traditional Western paradigm that they're not budging. And so many of yeah. my, because I'm an intermittent fasting coach and a health coach, but they said they'll go to their physicians and their physicians are like, whatever, man. You know, it's, right. you know, you, and I always say, I, and anyone listening to my podcast will go, you've used that line before. But the truth is, I always tell them they don't win the trip to Cabo if you're not taking the medicine. You know, they can only, it's incentivized. And if you're not taking, whether whether it's metformin or more thyroid medicine or whatever it is that you have to take, your doctor then isn't involved because you know there's so much healing in intermittent fasting.
1: Absolutely. And I think a lot of doctors are getting on board with this. Like the more I talk to my clients, they say, oh yeah, my doctor's giving the go ahead. I'm like, yes, like things are changing, right? Um, Yeah, so... As people ask me more, I was like, okay, I've got to dig in on this. Like, what are people even talking about? I I mean, the first person that asked me, I said, whoa, I've never even heard of this. Um, So it happened at the same time as my first mat leave with my daughter. So I had a bit of extra time to kind of really dig into the
0: research. So you had pregnancies and and all healthy pregnancies, despite the the brain tumor and the migraines? The pregnancies were healthy.
1: They weren't fun, <laughs> but
0: they were all- <laughs> Right. Yeah. yeah. I
1: was, uh, at, at that point, um, I was able to actually get off headache medications during the pregnancy itself. Wow. So, and then as soon as I had the baby, both times, a day later, I was back to migraine central. So, yeah, it was, it, oh, so there's, okay, there's yep. clearly a huge hormonal, hormonal component yep. mm-hmm. and there is with most people. Um, but yeah, for me, it's, it's a very, it must be a very strong hormone. Because you said
0: earlier, that's one in four women. So we know that estrogen Mm -hmm. has something to do with it. So during pregnancy, I thought we would produce more estrogen, but maybe it's more in a balance.
1: Yeah. I, I'm not, I, I don't even remember what, how the hormones fluctuate during pregnancy, but yeah. Um, yeah, whatever the difference is, a lot of people do feel better. Not everyone. Um, but a lot of people do feel better during pregnancy. So,
0: okay. So you were taking the yeah. leave some, you had some time off. You were able to research yeah. this. What, what were your first scientific tidbits of, um, Ooh, a phone's ringing somebody's phone. Is that me? You there? I heard a little deep, deep, deep. De. Um, yeah. what, what were some of your scientific, um, first scientific journals or science behind it? Cause I know you would appreciate the science of intermittent fasting.
1: Absolutely. So it was just so intriguing. Um seeing so a lot of it was on men, so it still yeah. is mostly yeah. on men yeah. unfortunately. Um but seeing the weight loss benefits and I said, "Okay, well this is something to pay attention to. That's what people are seeking." Um somewhere in that research and it's been so long now that I don't remember like where or what was going on. I I Saw some results where someone became migraine-free by following um, by following a fasting protocol, and I said, "Well, that's interesting. Like, how about I be my own guinea pig and try this out?" Um, so I started with sixteen-eight. I did that for about a month didn't notice any difference and around the same time, you know, I'm exploring more. I came across Dr. Jason fun. Mm -hmm. I came across, uh, Michael Mm Mosley and his BBC, Mm -hmm. um, his BBC documentary. Yeah. Yeah. And then I got the idea of, well, maybe my fasting isn't long enough. And I, I switched into a 24 hour fast twice a week and was very strict with that. Um, never missed a day. By four weeks, I had cut my headache medication in half. And by eight weeks, I had cut it out completely and was just feeling more and more energetic every day. And yeah, it's been over three years now that I've been doing this protocol and have been migraine-free, chronic headache-free. I I would say I get a headache less often than the general population, and it's about one-
0: every month or two. So when you get a headache, does it immediately trigger a migraine? No, I haven't. I haven't had a migraine.
1: in since since I started the the fasting. Um, And actually, even when I do get a headache, it is such a low blown headache, I almost never have to take an Advil. And in addition to that, when I do take an Advil, it actually works. Whereas in the past, Apple would never, would you wouldn't even notice you took anything.
0: That's fascinating. There's so many things I want to uh, talk to you about with this. For one thing, mm-hmm. um, for those of us who are not migraine sufferers, does it make you mad when those of us who aren't, and we say we have a really bad headache, are you over there going back off? You know, <laughs> this is kindergarten compared to what we have to do. So migraine then, yeah. how do you know it's a migraine? Because of the vomiting, the light sensitivity, the nausea? Uh, so yeah,
1: there's a few, um, there's a few kind of checklists online that, that people can go through. So it's a really bad headache. Um, if it's very debilitating for most people, it's one-sided. Um, so that's interesting. Kind of I didn't And then just one other additional symptom. So whether it's nausea or light sensitivity or sound sensitivity, some people get auras before. So there's an indication that a migraine is about to come. Is that the light that they
0: see an aura? Yeah.
1: So sometimes it's a visual aura. It can also be something like yawning, so yawning incessantly, and and then that leads—it's kind of an indication. Oh, a migraine's about to come.
0: What can you do when that's happening? If that were to happen to you now, would you just fast longer? Would you incorporate a fast?
1: I would certainly incorporate a fast because, uh, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of reasons why fasting can be very ben- beneficial for a headache prevention and be, and. Um, even when an attack is about to happen to stop that glucose surge right. into the brain um, where it actually kind of hits a wall and then the brain goes into a panic mode. Um, so preventing that uh, fast would, would be very helpful. And then also trying to stop whatever you're doing at that point. So if you're at work and you can take a bit of a break or, you know you're you're really stressed with the kids and stuff if you can go and be by yourself or go for a walk uh, actually doing some exercise can help prevent that going to that next level um also there's some essential oils that can be really beneficial so things like lavender and peppermint um one of the best natural remedies is to take ginger so putting some fresh ginger under your tongue but taking a ginger capsule or a ginger tincture And ginger can be, there's studies that show that ginger can be just as effective as sumatriptin, which is a a common migraine. Yeah, the good um, stuff. Preventative, Mm -hmm. or not preventative, but acute treatment. uh, Yeah. Treatment, yeah.
0: Well, funny, uh, my sister-in-law was just over at our house last night, and she said um, she had to go to the eye doctor that something happened last week, and I've never heard of this. She was looking at something. She had visual... um, I it was discombobulation. It was a weird thing. And okay. didn't even go to the eye doctor the next day, waited a week or so. And she had an ophthalmo- ophthalmological migraine, but oh, she didn't yeah. have pain.
1: And that was her first time? hmm And she's 61 okay. years old. And that's such a good point because it doesn't always involve head pain. So a migraine could it be like a vestibular migraine is where someone's completely off balance and and can't function at all um, because they can't even walk straight. Um, doesn't necessarily involve head pain. so, that is, that, is so not one, interesting. that is not one of the determining factors for a migraine.
0: Right. They told her to keep yeah. her eye on it. Pardon the pun, but mm-hmm. really to see, because she, she said, I said, what would you have done if you were driving? She's because she could, she would look at something straight ahead but she could see them over on the side it was like her peripheral vision was confused it, okay. it's a weird description even i she said well i may even have to pull over the car because she said oh yeah it was definitely. it was an, a weird thing but she said she went to bed that night woke up and she was fine so she didn't think it was anything until uh, we had, uh, my husband's family does have some vision issues that are hereditary not that okay. but some other things my father-in-law just said you have to go to an md you know you have to see an eye doctor because something's all right. So what was the name right. of your tumor that you had?
1: Uh, it's a vestibular schwannoma,
0: also known as
1: autistic uh, neuroma. So it's 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 where it forms at the end of the ear canal. Um, so most people, the first sign is that they start losing their hearing in one ear. Um, for me, it was so far at the end that I had perfect hearing in both ears. So that wasn't a sign I, I actually hit my head when skiing. I had a concussion and that started like mm-hmm. a slew of symptoms that with concussions, you either plateau or you get better. Um, for me, everything just kept getting worse and worse. So that was the red flag is that when the symptoms get worse and worse and that they were daily, that's another indication. Because uh, of course, anyone who deals with a migraine condition is very nervous that they also have a tumor. So it is important to kind of point out these red flags. It's when you never have any relief, um, at least in my case. And I would say the the majority is that's when you really want to get an MRI and make sure there isn't something else going on. Um, and it's when medications have no effect that, I mean, unfortunately that is also common in, in migraine conditions is that medications just
0: can't they don't even touch 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 you. Yeah. Don't even touch yeah. it. So when I had COVID, I, ha- I was early on getting COVID and it was a mild case, but I had this headache and, okay. and that was my complaint. Well, I did have fever, no sore throat, nothing respiratory, but I had this really bad headache that lasted for 10 days. So I would pridefully tell people, Suzanne, and I'm sorry I have, I'm like, I'm sure it was like a migraine. It wasn't. It was just a bad, okay. now that you're telling me it was just a bad headache Right. And I don't take medicine. I I had like a hydrocodone here because somebody had tooth surgery in my family and I had to take a (laughs) hydrocodone, which actually gave me more of a headache. It made me nauseated. So (laughs) I'm not doing that again. But my point was, it was so easy for me to say a bad headache. It must be a migraine, but I didn't have any of the other components. And for any of you that I told that I had a migraine during COVID, I didn't. (laughs) And I'm sorry. sorry. Right. <laughs> because we use the term loosely. And I know during menstruation, I remember having like a, I do remember one time having a serious headache, light bothered me. It was on one mm-hmm. side and I did feel nauseated. So I probably, mm-hmm. and it was on onset right before my period. So maybe right. in that case, I would, I would be in that category, but I'm sorry that I overstated my headache situation because yeah. I hear yours. And well, going, there are
1: so many different levels too. I mean, people can have a migraine where they can completely function properly and, you know, go to work fine. And then there's the, the level where they you actually cannot move. You're in so much pain. You're in the fetal position. No one can talk to you. Wow. You can't do a single thing. And for many people that actually lasts for days. So it is, it is an extremely debilitating
0: condition. It is debilitating, yeah, for sure. And
1: there's so many different types too. There are When you look at headache classifications, there are over 100 different cl- headache classifications. Oh. So I, I think a lot of people actually who say they deal with chronic headache likely do deal with a type of migraine as well. Um, that was me for years. I never identified with uh, migraine that's why I, when I went into this field, I decided to be the headache nutritionist because that is what I identified with for, for the most part. And it took a long time before the doctors actually diagnosed me and said, okay, you, well, you do have, uh, you are dealing with migraine. And, it, and it's actually fairly common for a head injury to then become migraine. Oh. Um, and it's not necessarily the same. There's some debate whether it's actually a migraine condition or not, because those who deal with migraine is usually a genetic, there's a strong genetic okay. component that leaves. And, and some people, I mean, there's kids that deal with migraine. Actually, let me just pull up that stat. There's something like, is it 8% of kids?
0: Um, oh, I'm 10%, so sorry.
1: 10% of children in so America. Wow. So, I mean, 18% of American women, 6% of men and 10% of children. Is, is that so, a Western
0: thing? Is this also in um, countries that don't have, you know, we've made a lot of progress, but in our progress, as we know, we've gotten sicker than yes. other parts of the world. So Absolutely. in third world countries or in Africa, do they have the headache situation that we do? Because we have more EMFs. I, I just feel like we have a lot more things that we' are absolutely., our, uh, dealing and with. our Western diet is terrible. is not yeah. helping. Yeah. yeah so yeah. it
1: is definitely definitely more prevalent in Western countries and those who are becoming more uh, like developed countries, so China is quite prevalent in China China yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, what's really interesting, is that the countries along the equator are less likely. So there, there's a very strong vitamin D component. I was going to say. So that is the first nutrient to pay attention to is the vitamin D. Um, but they're, yeah, it's kind of all over the place.
0: So, so interesting. the prevalence
1: in Canada is higher than the States, but only by a little bit. And then, um, yeah, it's... Uh, It's a worldwide problem though. The, I believe the percentage worldwide is 12%, whereas in the U S it's 14% of women. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I see that. Or sorry. Total.
0: Have (laughs) you read the book? I talk about this in every podcast because it's totally changed my life and my direction, everything. It's Ben Bickman's book, why we get sick. He's the PhD researcher from um, Brigham Young University I would say okay. it's the most telling book about our really? health that I've ever heard I've ever read I've ever listened to I send it to people all the time oh, and wow. it, and I do think he says with migraine there's an insulin component is that right?
1: Yes and that's is. what his,
0: his book is about every condition that high insulin leads to including endometriosis, high insulin. PCOS, we know is high insulin. Yeah. Type two Uh, diabetes, cancer, dementia. We know these, but I believe migraine. So he says to stop, stop looking at what your blood glucose is because that's after insulin has done its job, but let's look at your fasting insulin. And he said, it's the most predictive thing of your health. It has a 20 year predictability that 20 years ago, now yours is a little different because yours could be related to the concussion that could have impeded your body's ability with insulin and made you insulin resistant and wouldn't allow Mm -hmm. you to lower the blood glucose at the right time because we know insulin's role is to unlock glucose, you know, get into the cell and unlock and usher glucose to the cells. So in understanding that, yours could have had a different causation. I'm, I'm not making a blanket statement, but in you're dealing with people, not everyone's had a concussion that then maybe tripped a tumor that gave you the worst headaches of your life. So. Yeah. So just one thing there. So the the concussion
1: led to the symptoms starting okay, because that's our brain ask. is very is very good. It, our brain is so resilient, right? So it is covering up a lot of things until there's a breaking point. So the concussion actually just led to that breaking point. The tumor had been developing for years, so it didn't cause the tumor. Oh, that's okay. I'm glad you brought that up because I'm sure many people are like, "What? I've had a concussion. Did that cause a a tumor?" So no, that's really um,
0: that's what I thought in my small brain that I have. (laughs) I was thinking that. Yes, no, that is very valid. Okay, but you know, uh, I was just talking to one of my health coaching clients yesterday, whose daughter had a concussion, and it triggered um, bipolar disorder. so we do not put enough weight in these kids and the girl she was in high school she was i think she was playing soccer but Mm. i and i'm all for sports good golly i love me a sport i love kids are involved in sports i love the teamwork i love everything about it but i do worry about these little noggins up here
1: i know we have to keep them safe yeah
0: and i and i'm glad my son played high school football he's a big kid he looks like a d1 athlete I'm so glad he didn't have the drive and ambition to be a D1 football player cuz you know there's enough mothers worry about oh, but these kids who play high uh, college football it it's a hard hit and you if you've ever watched an NFL game you can hear the hit <gasps> oh I know and you think about our what's the head doing you know not just their bodies but what's the head doing so
1: it's it's scary it's it it really scary yeah, it is
0: scary. Not and again, that's a very individual decision for any family listening, but <clears throat> it's something to consider. Okay, so yeah. let's let oh, go ahead.
1: Yeah, so I just want to say, mm-hmm. in um, they there's been research that's shown that within an, an hour of a concussion, our gut microbiome changes because it reacts to it, and when the gut microbiome changes, all everything in the body changes. Right, our hormones change. Our and that is likely why she, your, your friend, right. Like the Mm -hmm. bipolar likely stems Mm -hmm. from that change in the gut. And then it just changes everything.
0: Okay. Well, let's talk about that. I'm, I just got today. Um, I'm the ADD poster, ADHD poster child. So I listen (laughs) to all my books um, okay. How did I get through college without Adderall? It's because I'm a good speller and I'm a journalism major. And so I did well, <laughs> anyway. but mm, there, so I'm listening to a new book I got today called healthy gut, healthy you. And, um, so I'm, I love me some gut health now. So let's talk about the connection and people just think, well, and I know my clients will say, well, I'll just take a probiotic. And I, I think right. I wish it were that easy. So let's talk about what, you, what you've what you encountered, Susanna, and helping people mm-hmm. achieve good gut health and seeing which also affects your insulin and resistance. Because we want to be, here's the term, we want to be insulin sensitive. 80% of this country is insulin resistant. Right. 80%. So those Isn't could be like people clicking? who are still thin oh. and they could still have, because my clients will tell me, a lady sitting in front of me was 250 pounds at least. I mean, she's okay. morbidly obese. And she said, no, my doctor says I'm fine. My blood glucose is only 95. Then she tested her fasting insulin and huh. it was yes. off the page. So let's, let's just we talk need about- That's I know, TV, I know. But, uh, That's what Dr. Bickman <laughs> says. We need to start looking at fasting insulin and worry about glucose a whole nother time. So let's Absolutely. talk about what you've learned in gut health and the connection between- the second brain which is the gut
1: mm-hmm. yeah exactly since it's the second brain there's a if you think of like a cable linking the two between the yeah. brain and the gut yeah. it, it is like a thick cable of that's a great of, visual i know it is the nerves that go right between they speak to each other within sec I mean, that's amazing sec, is, yes everything is communication there so if your gut health is off your brain health is going to be off
0: Hi, friends. As you can see, I have a lot of enthusiasm about intermittent fasting. That's because it changed my life and the way I think back in 2017. In fact, it's infected every part of my life now in lowering our insulin loads that I became a student at the Institute for Integrative Nutrition in New York. And now I have my certification as an integrative nutrition health coach. That means that I'm seeing clients. I can do that through obviously Zoom calls. You can do that through FaceTime. You can do that one-on-one in person. And if you're interested in becoming a client of mine, you can just email me, LisaFishersed.com. We'll put that link in the show notes, healthcoachingatlisafisshersaid.com. Now back to the program.
1: Just like 80% of the population is insulin resistant, uh, 80% or 100% can work on their gut health because uh, I've yet to work with a client who, um, w- we do a test called the GI map. So when the GI map comes back, everyone has something that they can work on in improving oh, their, their gut health. And so it comes down to how diverse the microbiome is. Uh, are there any pathogens or viruses that we can you know, control and, and get out of there. And the most important thing to, when someone is working on their gut health and not doing one of these tests is to think variety in their diet. So getting lots of diversity, the, you know, changing up their fruits and vegetables. Every, every plant out there has different, has their own microbiome. So we want to be exposed to as many different microbes as possible. And we just, I mean, we don't play outside anymore. Kids have a much healthier that a g- gut microbiome than adults. And now kids aren't even playing outside. Uh, but we're not exposed to soil in the same way. Our plants are no longer exposed to soil in the same way because, you know, it's just the same crops that are using the same soil. It's missing, it's, we're missing a ton of organisms. So, but really, thinking how many plants can i get this week a nice little activity people can do is count up how many plant foods you have in a week and you want to have at least 35 or more so wow that, that can be something to to challenge yourself with and then really work on getting more and more plant food diversity i mean there's a dozen different types of pumpkin out there. So even trying different really? when you're, you're eating a plant, yeah. you yeah. know, you can eat a certain type of vegetable and try all the other ones, or, you know, there's tons of different types of apples and it's, it's exploring and being adventurous. And every time going to the grocery store, adding at least one fruit or vegetable that either you haven't had in a long time, or you've never even tried before.
0: I love that. And I'm that can I'm really all this down just for my own. <laughs> my own (laughs) notes. Um, tell me about this GI map test. Is that, um, blood? Is it saliva? Is it? So it's a stool test. Okay.
1: Yeah. It's a stool test that, um, is very accurate. They you take in a few different samples in your stool and then they're measuring it twice to make sure that they're on their end. Everything is accurate. That comes back. The results on their back.
0: end. No, on your end. <laughs> yeah, sorry. On your rear end. Right. Yeah. On your rear end. Uh, that person ought to get a raise. Whoever's checking our poop twice. So, I know. <laughs> but I- I've done one of them um, to see, oh, something with my gut bacteria. It had so many Latin words by the time I got it back that I was kind of overwhelmed. <laughs> Very confusing looking at those
1: reports, even myself, it can yeah. be confusing. And I have to go back to, you know, we, as practitioners offering the GI map, uh, you actually get to meet with the doctors, like the onsite in the lab, oh, doctors who wow. work with it every day. So you make sure that you're giving the best advice possible to your client. Um, and then with it, with time, you just kind of learn more, but yeah, when you first get the report, there's no way that an average, you know, Mm-mm. if you're not, if you don't have a trained eye as to what you're looking at, it, it'll be gibberish because of all those, <laughs> the Latin words
0: of which yeah. microbes are in your body. Right. And we want, yeah. cause we have trillions of bacteria, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And yeah. they, they come from all different. I guess, genus, species, I mean, anything within the kingdom <laughs> that I'm thinking about um, yeah. learned in biology. And we want that as varied as possible. Cause that's what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. So and that then there's means... certain ones that are more
1: beneficial for health and certain ones that are less beneficial for health. So we want to uh,
0: help those that are beneficial flourish. Okay. And feeding the good bacteria. And that's mm-hmm. why, you know, those antibiotics and I'm glad penicillin was invented, you know, 60 years yeah. ago. But my goodness, yeah. we have taken that and we've oh, we we've have re- abused we've the really abused antibiotics. It. Yeah, and really. we are.
1: I mean, it is so unfortunate because we are just killing our gut, our gut slowly. Yeah, with all of this stuff right. and, and sugar.
0: Then- Sugar and
1: sugar and lack
0: of sunlight. I tell you the one thing that I've done for my own health in the last three months is I work, I work at my gut health, like a job. I think every day, you know, have I had Mm. the good Bubby's pickle, the good sauerkraut, the good something fermented. My other thing is getting sunlight and um, you know, we do have hot summers, So it's, I don't want to be, our humidity is so high in Arkansas. Mm. But after that, just so this is, we're recording this in November, um, September, October, November, I've really been working at it. And finally I'm seeing my, um, vitamin D levels at 50. Um, Great. but know, it's funny. yeah, it's funny that the, phys- you know, when I was first getting tested 5- 10, 12, 15 years ago, when I first, they first started looking at vitamin D and it was mm-hmm. 29, They'd go well. You just need to be at thirty. Well, that's not true. You don't need to just be at thirty. You know,
1: I know that is like
0: the lowest
1: you where ever, you can yeah.
0: function properly. That's it right. Should be that's so right. much higher. Their right. their ranges are out of out of date. And I'm seeing that I and I don't know if it's my own gut health, but I do uh, vitamin D supplementation. Even get a shot at our shock clinic here. But okay, I still my best bet of getting my vitamin D up is that ball of fire out in the sky.
1: I know. And with our rush, rush day, it's, I mean, we're not getting outside almost Mm -hmm. at all Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. let alone getting sunshine where we can get vitamin D. And then depending where people live, you you can't even make much vitamin D at certain times of the year. And so you do want to take extra advantage of getting outside as much as possible.
0: Plus we vilified the sun about 20 years ago when we told everyone mm-hmm. to stop. We told everyone to put UV protection on everything they do to not go outside between 10 and two. Mm-hmm. And then skin cancer rates skyrocketed. They didn't decrease. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> Excuse wow. me. Yes. And it was because of the parabens and the phthalates that are in the sunscreen. Oh my gosh. And so six, wow. six months ago or sometime in 2021, uh, the FDA or somebody said, you know what, this skin, those sunscreens you have, they're cancer causing agents. <laughs> right. <laughs> so we were, <laughs> and, we were doing this, we were covering ourselves oh, in all the skincare man. products. And it's so funny like having kids cause
1: my kids are six and four, so they're young, but we make, we do so many precautions of making sure, you know, there's nothing in their sunscreens and all the like make, looking at everything that they eat and we don't do it as adults. We don't do it for ourselves. Right. We, we, we see these little kids that are so fragile and innocent and we want to protect them. But then the, as we get older, we just kind of let it all fly out the window. Um, no, but we, we all need to go
0: outside more. I mean, that's just it. Yeah, And I, and you know, I even have vitiligo, so I do, I don't care anymore. I used to care because I tan easily. And okay. I didn't like the contrast I'm showing you people watching on YouTube can see it, but you know what, now that I've been taking care of my gut health at all, I don't even see my vitiligo as much on my face. So there's oh, gotta great. be a connection to, to my melanin, our melanocytes our melanin and right. what vitamin D and good health can do for us. So
1: I yeah. think we just
0: started overthinking nature and thought we looked at nature as an enemy. Cause remember Years ago, if you drop something on the floor, your mother would make you go wash with antibacterial soap. I don't, I've never used it, but I know people use it because Mm -hmm. a germ may hurt us. No, actually a germ helps us. I know. And these super clean areas,
1: I I can only imagine what's happened with COVID where we're super sterilizing everything. But I mean, what's happening with our, our microbiome because we're super sterilizing everything and- uh, I mean, if you think back 100 years
0: ago, there was none of this stuff. Happening. I, and We're I know the, arg- the argument, though, is, Susanna, there was rickets and scurvy, too, and we don't want that. You know, yeah. I, I understand that. But we also didn't have antibiotics, which are, do help us. It's just that we've overused them.
1: We've abused them. Yeah. yeah.
0: I know during yeah. the height of COVID, if you went to Lululemon here, they made you use antibacterial cleanser mm-hmm. to go in. So I didn't go. Like I, I'm okay. Cause it, it really makes, because of my autoimmune conditions, that's what I just say. Mm-hmm. I can't, I really can't have anything that has any of those products. Now some things just have alcohol and I guess I'm not as worried about that, but in the beginning, yeah. those uh, hand sanitizers,
1: hand sanitizers were just we're, we, I I think we're, we're abusing those now too, because I live in the Bay area where the, I mean, those hand sanitizers, You need to use those everywhere you go. (laughs) Well, they wouldn't even
0: let you go anywhere, you know, in the Bay Area. You couldn't go anywhere because, and that was the other thing. I've seen so many uh, like-minded people with my type of thinking will say, why aren't we, why aren't doctors on the air saying, you know what, stop using hand sanitizer, you know, you can't say wash, anything about. You can wash your hands with soap. What? That's not killing the. Ba- I mean, and that. Do you know the, the studies say? Uh, the studies say that, I think, warm water kills as much, as, and I I don't know if I'm saying that right, but my dermatologist told me that years ago when mm-hmm. one of my kids was having some eczema on her hands, and okay. she did wash a lot. And he okay. said, "What do you use?" And she said, "Soap and water." And he said, "You know what? Research is it's showing water. this that just water and washing oh, that's well. So interesting. Yeah. yeah. And I, and I, I again, I don't have that study in front of me to cite it, but I just remember that. And so I've kind of, I just started backing off. And that's when I just, uh-huh. that was probably 20 years ago. I gave up the stuff with the okay. chemicals because it's in like it and fruits and vegetables.
1: It. We just. It- Washing it actually gets rid of a lot of the pathogens on the fruits and vegetables. But it
0: goes back to, we need some of the dirt. I mean, if I say that out loud, I'll be right, they'll firebomb my car (laughs) because I'm saying dirt's not a bad thing. I know we shouldn't be scared of it. Yeah, yeah we right. need to. We need uh, some dirt and to uh, at least some exposure to it. So. Right. Something. Okay. And, let's go. Let's go back to headaches with you. Doing a twenty-four hour fast a week is what you felt just could. Twenty-four hour fast twice a week. Twice so a week. So I can't go longer than three days in between. And
1: anytime I've tried, everything comes right back. So really, Christmas especially is you know what. Whenever there's an event back-to-back and you've got two weeks of events, and then that's always when I say, okay, maybe I can miss a fast today. And no, no, I have learned the hard way that I cannot miss any of those fasting days. So I fast every Monday and Thursday. And there's some flexibility. I can change it to Tuesday and Friday, and that's
0: fine. Uh, What is that? Because you're very slim, and I know you don't want to lose weight. What do you do then? it just shows that homeostasis probably our body probably gets to the point where it's comfortable with the weight. And if we're Mm -hmm. just keeping our insulin low, you probably aren't losing or gaining. Yeah. Yeah,
1: What do you do? Do you definitely not? So so.
0: one of the things Dr. Fung talks about for sure in his books and Jen Stevens, who I call the mother Mm -hmm. of intermittent fasting talks about, and those are the refeed days that And I tell my clients after a 24 hour fast, I say, just make sure today you don't have a diet approach ever, but that Mm -hmm. if you're hungry, eat even a breakfast if it's at 10 AM, but you may have an eight hour window the next day. How do you handle that? Or what do you do on your refeed day?
1: Yeah. So definitely have that approach of just, I eat when I'm hungry. So I don't have any time where I need to eat. I don't, uh, so if I'm hungry at 8 a.m., I will eat then. I'm rarely hungry at that right, point. I right. usually delay till 8, I mean, sorry, to 9 or 10.
0: Okay.
1: Um, but I have three meals. And then um, I'm a, very, uh, a big proponent of 12-hour fasts every single day, at least a 12-hour fast, least, so yeah. that we're following our circadian rhythms. We stop eating before I could say you stop eating when it's dark out, but now it's dark yeah, so early. Right. So, but you stop eating at six thirty, and it's the it's the night eating that's causing so many problems. Um, and just bringing things back to insulin too. It's the migraine community, and this is it's it's taken me a while to. Um, be okay with the fasting approach, and because and, I am going against every single, you know, neurosurgeon out there, every neurologist, uh, the everyone is saying eat every three to four hours to prevent a migraine. I oh, am, even
0: to prevent a migraine.
1: Yes. Oh. Prevent a headache. Prevent a migraine. That skipping a okay. meal is a trigger, and. So something I want to point out is that like skipping a meal unintentionally when you are busy and you're running Mm -hmm. around during the day and you have a late work meeting, that is very different than fasting where you are intentionally, you are planning, you have an action plan. You are in, um, in the headache world, it's, it's even more important to gradually build up to a longer fast. You can't just jump in two feet and do a 24 hour fast. Um, So I'd just like to point out that there is a big difference between skipping meals and fasting as much as fasting is technically skipping meals. So, but I really, um, I really connect with, you know, Dr. Jason fun, of course, because he, he was with all the renal, um, Mm -hmm. all his renal clients, they kept coming back sicker and sicker. Right. And it's the same thing in the migraine world. It's like you get on a medication, you feel a bit better for a little bit. And then a couple of years later, it's not working anymore. You go on to the next one and people just, you get worse and worse rather. It's rare that people come back and start feeling better. And it's the, it's cause we're not approaching things the right way. So I really want to revolutionize this whole pattern of what we're telling people to eat every three to four hours because three to four hours quickly becomes eating constantly throughout the entire day.
0: And we you're were never intended to hours. do that. Right. We were never intended right. to, to do that.
1: I, what, what is your no nurse, reason
0: we should be eating that. No, night. no. What does your neurosurgeon say? The one who took care of your case about uh, what the approach you're following?
1: One who took care of my case, I moved to the States four years ago, so I haven't seen him in a long time. So I can't quite say, but a lot of them are just, I mean, they don't really know my, (laughs) that this is my focus now and that I only work with, with headache clients, um, so they kind of just brushed me off when I was saying, hey, like, mm-hmm. um, this is my approach now. They so, say whatever, but I, man. I have to keep advocating. Yeah, I mean, you yeah. just have to keep planting right. the seed. And then maybe they start paying attention. Then they start looking into the research. And I mean, results speak for themselves. So the more people get results, the, it ju- it's just going to you know, continue expanding. It's just the same way it has done in the weight loss community is that now everyone has heard of it. Whereas even five years ago, most people hadn't heard of intermittent fasting.
0: Right. I was um, kind of an early adopter and I started in 2017. And I've told the story about my son introducing me to it. And I was on the radio then here in Little Rock. I was on the morning show. And so I would talk about it on the morning show. And then people, listeners would call and people still tell me, you got me started on intermittent fasting 2017. But then I was asked to do, to be on TV because uh, I used to work at one of the stations here. And they said, hey, would you come on our afternoon show and just tell us about intermittent fasting? I said, sure, great. And I got there and it was like a point counterpoint. The woman was in the green room. We were all kind of you know, getting mic'd up. And I said, oh, what are you here for? And she said, to debate you on intermittent fasting. Oh, no. <laughs> and I was like, well, bring it. And that's when I just had a little scientific knowledge, but I'm pretty confident in the way, I, once I understand something, I get it. So okay. this was in March of 2018. So she and I were sitting together. She was a dietitian mm-hmm. from the local um, teaching okay. hospital. And so right. she just smugly told me, you've lost 10 pounds. And that's all I needed to lose. Uh, but she goes, I'd like to see you in six months. You know, just, oh, this is just a diet. It's temporary. And I went, no, it's not. And here I am right. starting my fifth year, you know, <laughs> next week with it. And I, I would love to see her on the street and say, this isn't see? a fad. Yes, yeah. it is. Once you understand, and now that I understand insulin's role, I wish I knew what my fasting insulin was then because I I know obviously it's turned around because everything else in my body has turned around. I also think my vitiligo mm. improving is from lowering my insulin, you know, Absolutely. or making me more insulin sensitive. So it's yeah. those things that we see that you could be skeptical all you want, and you know, the doctors that say whatever, man. But I love the doctors who get on board. I also have a rare swallowing condition. So I have a GI, an advanced clinician who has to see this type of condition I have. And he Mm -hmm. said, you have the best. I've had it for 24 years, this condition. He goes, you have the best case I've ever seen. And he said, it's because you give your digestion a break. And he said, Uh, we were never intended to chew, swallow, and digest all day. Never. Exactly. And he said, what every you're doing organ right, needs a break. <laughs> every organ needs a break. Absolutely. Okay. So before your 24 hour fast, cause I know, um, I, I can't eat before I have to really focus. like, I haven't eaten today, but tomorrow afternoon okay. I'm, I've got to do some TV commercials. I have to focus. So I won't eat mm-hmm. before that. So I'll end up getting in a 24 hour fast Okay. because that's just, I, I know I do better. Without eating. So do you you think on those days, we ought to be prepared? Like, uh, should I be preparing today by eating? Do you prepare by eating a little more or having a longer window the day before your 24 hour fast?
1: No. So I don't prepare anymore. When I first started, um, especially trying to prevent because especially the first two weeks, you're much more likely to uh, cause a headache because your body is learning oh, how to handle ketones and I see it, our, our body wants that status quo. So it'll fight you back for a bit. So you do want to prepare properly before um, jumping into fasting for anyone who's headache prone. Uh, but nowadays, because I've been doing it so long, I just have normal supper
0: the night okay. before.
1: And yeah, I don't think... I don't think anything of it anymore, but things that I do make sure is like, um, you know how sometimes you get together with friends and so either alcohol or, uh, even a latte or something late at night, that's more of a sugary drink. That is the absolute worst thing before fast. I've made that mistake before and you just feel so hungry the next day. Absolutely. But when you eat a nice balanced meal, which is what's really important to be a fast, a nice balanced meal, you've got some fat in there, you've got some protein, yeah, you've got lots of vegetables, sure. then your fast will go very well the next day.
0: Yeah. I really think one of my uh, tips for newbies for sure, because they all say, Oh my gosh, you know, I'm closing my window. I'm so anxious about being hungry the next day. I go, that's just normal because mm-hmm. we've been overfed But I used to, some of them, I tell them I would close my window with, um, my feasting window with an avocado, peanut butter on an apple. Oh, yeah. Just something that had, for me, it produced more satiety. Another Mm -hmm. trick, and I'd like to know what you think about this, what about your electrolyte imbalance? Because that causes us who don't have migraines to get a little bit of a headache in the early months of fasting, do yes. you make sure that you really have good electrolytes in your diet every yeah. day? So
1: it's no longer necessary for me again, because, because it's, um, I, it's very necessary that first month to pay attention to the electrolytes. Okay. Um, and electrolytes mainly just focusing on sure sodium. So mm-hmm. even Sorry, Google is talking to me. Um, <laughs> she didn't even, understand. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's what she said. Even a pinch of salt in the water can really uh, okay. go a long way. Uh, during that, for per- it's it's really just the first month that uh, people need to focus on it, and so that's kind of that's how I, I guide them through a kind of a whole procedure of, of, of focusing in that but now that you don't month. do
0: that you're not monitoring it's and...
1: yeah it's definitely not necessary anymore just for me i just need to remind myself to drink i'm not uh yeah i'm not a, i'm not great at water drinking so during Which, my fasting days i i you know i can easily go ha- half the day and realize i haven't had a yeah. single glass of water today yeah. and it's like that any day whether it's a fasting day or not but on my fasting days that's what i need to remind myself about
0: I feel like people who are well-nourished and eat foods with, you know, that have high water intake or are, you know, we're properly nourished with that, hydrated, that we aren't all day drinking that the people with these 96 ounce bottles of water saying you're almost there, you're halfway there. (laughs) I'm like, you're then peeing out all your nutrients and electrolytes that your body really needs. We just... Again, we are such a society of extremes.
1: Uh, right. It's all or nothing. It yeah, really all or is. nothing. It's like, let's find a middle ground. Yes. And you're feeling good where you're not forcing yourself to drink constant, right. uh, nonstop. I mean, there's right. certainly a balance and I'm probably not getting quite enough, but I mean yeah. one extra glass of water and I'm fine.
0: Yeah, so, right. I did yeah. buy the LMNT electrolytes that a lot of intermittent fasters I don't know if Rob Wolf or who's behind that but somebody in the intermittent fasting community and mm-hmm. but they are flavored so I have to wait till I open my feasting window do you yes. notice too then with you cuz I do know that um and I'm sure you don't have artificial sweeteners but even real sugar or does anything in the sh- uh, well the high insulin realm does it push you into or get you close to what you think might be a headache or did it used to absolutely so yeah.
1: I think anything in that high sugar it, it it causes that spike in sugar and then a quick low and anything that's a quick transition like that so whether yeah. your hormones fluctuate really quickly whether your glucose fluctuates really quickly I mean anything that's a quick change is a a migraine trigger absolutely
0: Yeah. And that's across the board probably with everybody, but you see, so I can, we can put all your contact information. You can see, talk to anybody virtually, you know, in Mm -hmm. the world and you can help, I guess you help people everywhere because it yeah,
1: Uh, more or less.
0: So, um,
1: so I do do one-on-one and I'm actually soon launching a program that's just for those who are interested in fasting for headaches. Oh, good. Uh, so that one is open to everywhere because as a dietitian, you're actually only, you can work in your state and a few other states. Oh. There's a whole bunch of like red tape okay. for where dietitians didn't can realize work. that work. Um, it's protecting the consumer, but it, it's a very backward process and it's not meant for today's digital age. Right. Um, right. So, but group programs, because it's not that one-on-one approach, you can actually work with with people all over. So that that helps and that opens things up for a lot of people.
0: Well, I love your message yeah. and I love your social media and just keep getting the word out. And those doctors will finally say, and that's who we will have to pay educate. attention eventually, right? <laughs> that's right. We want to educate them because people in our culture run to a doctor before they run to. A health coach or a nutritionist or something else, which we would like to see that turn around so they don't have, and then go to the doctor if something's really broken.
1: Yes, yes. Well, especially, I mean, so I'm, as a Canadian, our healthcare system covers. Going to the doctor, it rarely covers going to see a dietitian or a nutritionist. Right, right. And so the the system is backwards, right? And then the states too, you're covered for going to the or if you have health insurance and everything, you're usually covered to go to the doctors. You're rarely covered to go to the dietitian. And in the migraine world, it's even worse because migraine is rarely covered by, even though it's such a debilitating condition, the insur- it's such a battle with insurance that. I mean, I don't even work with any insurance companies because it's too much work and they don't usually accept the claims. So
0: that's such a shame. Such a shame. Well, you keep on doing what you're doing and uh, (laughs) I'll never again state that my COVID was a migraine. I'll just say (laughs) I had a bad headache for a while. You can say it was a very severe
1: headache and I mean, it was debilitating for you. So yeah, that's right. Right, 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 You can't do anything,
0: yeah. Right, well, good job. You're doing a great job. Thanks for listening to the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast. Be sure to hit subscribe and download all the episodes and leave a review, won't you? The Lisa Fisher Said Podcast is produced by ClantonCreative.com.